0: Live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. Dr. Noreen Russell is passionate about providing support to frustrated students and weary parents, and she is fueled by her own experience of raising two complex children who are both neurologically atypical. Her children's diagnoses include autism, mood disorders, ADHD, giftedness, and learning differences. Dr. Russell knows firsthand the exhaustion you face day in and day out, seeking solutions for your out-of-the-box child. She has created programs that help youth develop social, emotional, and leadership skills. Dr. Russell, welcome to Momnificent.
1: I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you for having
0: me. journey has been that has led you to your work with kids and parents today.
1: Absolutely. Um, So I think that I have always been someone who wants to grow and wants to learn and wants to help others and when i was in college i knew i didn't really want to work on the therapy side of things but i knew that i wanted to help people and i knew i wanted to help people grow. And so ultimately, I ended up getting uh, my bachelor's degree and then a graduate degree in psychology with a focus on developmental psychology. So how do people grow? How do they grow physically, socially, cognitive, emotionally? And that really sums up what I care about in the world is how do we help people be their best, most healthy, most resilient, productive self? And um, I took that education, and at first, I was in academia, I was in higher ed, which I absolutely loved. And then um, my second career was in nonprofit, which I also loved, and spent some time in Minnesota doing that, some time in New York, and then some time here um, in Florida running agencies and organizations that helped youth to develop social and emotional skills, leadership skills. And then when I had my son, you know, things get a little bit more complicated. And so I retired from nonprofit work and um, began working with students and parents in a one-on-one way. And at the time, I wasn't really sure what I was doing. I was sort of um, responding to some requests from psychologists and therapists in the community. But 12 years later, here we are, and I have a international academic and life coaching practice for kids. And again, all comes back to the same thing. How do we help people grow? How do we help kids and adolescents become who they can be their healthiest, strongest, best selves? So um, that that's sort of my journey in a nutshell. And then of course, um, having two children who are atypical is part of my journey as well.
0: And I love that you created this because so many times we know life coaches and we typically think of them for adults, but I love that um, I brought you on this show just to share with more people like, Hey, there is coaching for kids and there is help for parents, especially kind of with their kids. And I think it's an area that um, I'm just excited to share with more and more people to see if it'll help others.
1: Well, and you know, I think it's really important, especially for parents of kids with ADHD to understand what are the resources out there. I have to tell you that I really started doing this work with a healthy amount of skepticism about coaching. And I would still say to parents, be cautious, right? Coaching is an unlicensed profession. Make sure you know what you're getting. You know, what what I say to the parents who come and talk with us and, and who work with us is, you know our practice is built on scientific principles it's built on programs that are evidence based um but i i was a skeptic about coaching i have to tell you that and and now i love it it totally fits my um healthy resiliency frame of mind and and i love what we do and i think more parents of kids with adhd should be familiar with coaching because it really offers something different from therapy, or tutoring, Um, and, and we need as many tools in our toolbox as we possibly can have.
0: We really do. And just recently I was giving a webinar and at the end, a parent was like, thank you so much because I just need any tools I can take to help me with this. Nobody gives you a manual on here's your kid, right? Nobody gives you a manual on marriage. Nobody gives you a manual. We're all looking, we're all fumbling our way through it. And so um, oh, I just love it. And I'll give you an opportunity to speak more about what that coaching looks like more at the end. Um, so your work includes supporting parents and kids with ADHD, like you said. Can you share with us what it's really like for a kid to have of ADHD. Can you just help us step into their shoes for a minute and just give us that perspective?
1: Sure. So th- what I would say from 12 years of working with kids with ADHD and from parenting too, is that I think there are two things that characterize kids' experiences um, being a person, a person with ADHD. First, there's a tremendous amount of negative feedback. The child with ADHD is constantly getting told, modify your behavior, regulate your behavior, change your behavior. That behavior isn't appropriate. You need to do this instead. And I think that that is in so many ways demoralizing as it would be for you and for me. I mean, if I got up every day and somebody wanted me to be something other than what I was, it would be incredibly demoralizing. And I think the other piece that I noticed that makes me so sad is I think that it is disconnected. When we take a look at kids who have ADHD and they're not often socially or emotionally in sync with their peers, they are disconnected. It's not as easy to be friends with a kid with ADHD. It's not always as easy for adults to relate to a kid with ADHD. And so I think there are a lot of really ugly d words that can characterize the kid with adhd disconnected um and demoralized now sometimes people will make the argument that adhd is a gift i think there are aspects of adhd that can be very positive for a child like the ability to hyperfocus. but i think the core symptoms of adhd that's not my philosophy i think the core symptoms of adhd are difficult for children and when we as adults think that it's something they can voluntarily control that it's behavior then i think they become even more
0: isolated i love what you said because that helps us understand more from their perspective what that student is walking in my classroom or what my child is feeling and it's nothing they chose They didn't choose this, they don't wake up every every day and say, I'm gonna be this way. And I love those two points that you pointed out. Thank you for sharing that. And, And from your experience, what do most parents of kids with ADHD not know that you think they should know?
1: You know, what I found is that no one says to ADHD parents, get educated, read every single book you can find, listen to every podcast that's out there talk to other parents of kids who have ADHD you get this diagnosis you know you get it from the pediatrician or a psychologist or a psychiatrist and people you know they do they do their best they unpack the diagnosis they do professionally a great job but i think there's this missing piece of where's the village of ADHD parents and i wish that someone had said to me read, know everything, get educated, and get prepared to advocate. Because I like to learn, I learned a lot, but I run into parents all the time who still don't really understand what are the core three symptoms of ADHD. They still somehow think it's going to magically go away. And I think even more sadly in the relationship, they somehow feel like if they can help the kid understand what they should do, then the kid will do it. As if it's not a neurodevelopmental disorder, it's not knowing that's gonna make a difference, right? It's providing scaffolding, it's providing support, it's providing skill building. And so the one thing I always say to parents is, you have got to get so educated about this And because we live in a country where there are so many negative stereotypes of ADHD and we call it a behavior disorder, you have to really understand your kid and be prepared to be their advocate. And that's the part that I think we really are not doing a good job yet of supporting parents on. And that's something that I would really like to see change. And when I talk with parents, I really stress to them, you've got to learn about this, you've got to understand how to explain it to teachers, how to explain it to therapists, and then how to explain it to your own child.
0: Right? Yeah, exactly. And so, okay, so let's put us in a school scenario, the teacher sees this kid, can't sit still, needs multiple redirections. The teacher feels like they can't get anything done unless you're there one-on-one with them. Um, they're distracted. And so they share you know, all of this at a parent-teacher conference. What, okay, let's put ourselves in the parents' shoes. If you went into that parent, parent conference and the teacher just said all that, well, and, and, and let's pretend the parent called you up and was like, Doreen, this is what the teacher just told me. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with this. At that point, what is something that you're sharing with parents that, that would be helpful for parents to hear?
1: Sure. So, you know, in many ways, I think what everybody in that situation is allowed to share makes it difficult. Um, we at Russell Coaching, we're an evidence based, science based practice. And there are um, recommendations from the American Academy of Pediatrics published in 2019 that say if any child in any setting are showing these symptoms and it walks through the symptoms of ADHD, they should be referred for an evaluation. So if the teacher is seeing it, if the parent is seeing it, if the pediatrician is seeing it, if a therapist is seeing it, they should be referred for an evaluation. And honestly, that's what I say to parents is, it's very easy, we wanna know. It's sort of like when your kid wakes up with a fever and a sore throat, we wanna know, do they have strep throat? If they have ear pain, do they have an ear infection? If they do, great, let's try some antibiotics. If they don't, great, you know. but we want to know Because if it's not ADHD, it could be something else. Could be
0: anxiety, right? Could be a learning difference, sensory, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it masks as that, and we educators we see this and we're like, "Oh, that kid has so ADHD." Like, okay, yeah, we're at fault for we self-diagnose, even though we know we're not supposed to diagnose and not say that. But then, so on the flip side, what if the parent was Um, or no, I don't want to say it like that. Let me say if, hold on, give me a second. (laughs) Let's go back to that skill building. I feel, and I really would love your thoughts on this because you see the kids distracted, not focused, can't sit still, can't, can't complete their work look like they're not motivated, look like they don't want to do it, which I don't believe. I believe all kids want to do well if they can. And if they can't, it's up to us to figure it out. But that's a core belief that I I live by. But what if um, the teacher's seeing all of this and then the parent takes all that to the doctor and maybe there's a diagnosis of ADHD, maybe they try meds or maybe they're not ready to do meds. But I still feel that it's about skill building like whether you take that pill or not, you still have to learn the skill that that pill is not going to teach you a skill. Tell me your thoughts on that, because I I really believe that. And I would love to know if if I'm off or if, if I'm on with something.
1: No, you're 100% right. Pills don't teach skills. Um, and so while when you look at the scientific literature and you look at the American Academy of Pediatrics, medication is definitely part of the trifecta that is highly recommended. And it has a huge positive effect if you can figure out the right medication, working with someone who's knowledgeable about ADHD. The fact is that it doesn't, you know, it treats the symptoms during the time it's effective, right? But it's not a cure for the neurodevelopmental disorder. And so often what we see, and your teachers may see this, we'll see kids who are behind in certain skills, right? Or we'll see them behind in social and emotional development. Kids on average with ADHD are behind about 30% or three years. So you can kind of go somewhere in between that as you look at your own kid. And I think that's helpful for teachers to know too, is this isn't about you as a teacher. This isn't about what a great teacher you are. This isn't about all the strategies you've tried. If you have, you know, a child in your classroom who's 11, but really developmentally is at a skill level of eight, That's not about you, you know, and and you've got to do the best you can do, but there are going to be some limitations to what that student can do without some intensive skill building. And so, yes, I am 100 percent on board with we have to teach skills and we have to teach skills based on where is that student at right now. We have to go to where they're at, meet them there and then bring them along. And I have to admit, I I feel for teachers, this isn't always possible when you have a classroom full of 18 or 22 students, you can't meet each student individually. And I think that's again, where that homeschool partnership comes into play. What does the student need for a student support plan, a 504, an IEP? What would the student benefit from outside of school, right? Um, and, And we have to take a look at the whole picture of that because the skill building piece of it is where we can make a huge difference for students. Students can learn how to manage time. They can learn how to organize. They can learn how to get themselves to start things they don't wanna do. Is it easy? I can't say it's easy. Do we also have to have brain development? Yes, we sure do. But there's lots and lots of strategies to try to teach these skills. One of the things that I think would be great at schools is, you know, if we could pull kids who need executive functioning coaching into a club or a group or, you know, some kind of skill building group like they do with social skills and teach those skills and coach those skills. So we're not having to do it with each student individually but that the students together can say, hey, this is what I do, and this is what I do, and we can try to work on
0: the core set of executive functioning skills. Because that's what we do in math. When you have a learning disability academically, what do we do? We pull you in small group, what do you not know? Oh, your math facts? Okay, we're gonna drill and drill and drill and learn that skill. Well, somehow, why don't we prepare that for kids, like you're saying, for planning? Uh, preparing or reviewing for a test or how do you study for a test? or you just got an assignment? How do you know when it's due and how to map out your time of what you're going to do between a and B over the next week? Like you, you, you so some, some of us pick that up along the way, but other of us need that rote skill taught to us. And maybe that's what we're seeing the lack of that just gets us frustrated because, yeah, the pill might work for a while or, oh, wow, well, maybe a honeymoon period or you got to change it or they grow and then it's not working because we know they have to try different ones till they get to the point where it, the right match is, is the right, you know, fit for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you were saying most parents don't know the three, what was it, the three signs of ADHD? Can you tell us those in case someone listening is like, wait, what was that? I'm not sure if I know those.
1: Sure. So um, licensed medical and psychological professionals who, who do evaluations for ADHD look for three core symptoms. And the first of those is inability to regulate attention. And I think if there's one thing that parents walk away from this podcast understanding is ADHD isn't the inability to pay attention. It is the inability of the brain to regulate attention, right? So you and I right now are totally locked into our focus on this podcast, right? I'm super excited about the questions you're asking. My brain is kind of going here and there and pulling together. Oh, you know, who would be a good parent example of this? What information is really current? What would be great to talk about? And your brain is thinking, what questions do I want to ask her that would help parents and teachers, right? We're both locked in. But you know what Karen? neither one of us are telling our brains to focus right neither right. one of us are having to make our brains focus our brains automatically are regulating attention and that is the piece that is missing for people with adhd the brain doesn't automatically regulate attention to where it should be so sure they can pay attention my goodness we've all heard well he can pay attention to video games for six hours she can pay attention to TikTok, you know all weekend long yes yes all of us can pay attention for a long period of time to things that are highly rewarding highly engaging that are so incredibly high interest for us mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that your kid with adhd their brain will regulate to pay attention when they're in math class or ELA or PE or outside in the ball field when there's a lot of other things going on. That's the fundamental deficit. It's not the ability to pay attention. It's the brain's ability to regulate attention. Do you think that makes sense?
0: Yeah, I think that was a really good way to put it. And because you explained it like that, it makes me kind of almost feel a little bit more sorry for kids with it. Like it it gives me more understanding of it that I don't think I had before. So I think that's really helpful.
1: And And what are the other two pieces? The other two pieces um, are the impulsivity piece, um, which, you know, impulsivity is knowing the right thing to do, but being unable to control that impulse in the moment, right? So your kid with impulsivity issues which, you know, that's the nature of ADHD, is going to do something they know isn't the right thing to do. And then they're going to feel terrible about it. So I see this all the time in kids. I know, I know it wasn't the right thing to do. And then it leads to that, you know, feeling discouraged and feeling unmotivated because they can't get their brain to work the way they see Their peers' brains around them working and the way that we often as adults expect them to be able to. So I think that's important to know. You don't fix impulsivity by telling your child or your teenager over and over again, that was the wrong decision. That was the wrong decision. You know better. You should make a better decision. They know all of that. What they need is help at the point of the decision making to pause and to think, okay, wait a second, wait a second. I feel like I've been in this situation before, I need to step away and think about options and really focus on, you know, waiting 10 minutes before I decide if I'm going to do this. And so that I think is the key part of the impulsivity. Parents and teachers need to understand the kids know better, just as you were saying earlier, they know better, they can't necessarily do better, they need help pausing. And then the third symptom is the hyperactivity piece, which can be physical, which I think is often what pops into our head, right, is that little kid like running around the classroom or s- climbing every slide on the playground or whatever it is. But it can also be verbal, right? And so we've all known those kids who just never stop talking.
0: Yeah. And, and so th- I want to go back to that impulsivity because uh, I'll just say to our fault, we kind of look at that and say, well, they meant to do that. It comes across that way. And, and I think what you're saying is so good and helpful for us to, for us to stop. Like, what else would you say to a teacher to help them when that child, that student is just so impulsive? I mean, it can be draining, like, like, like give, give this teachers one more tip of, of what they could do in that moment to help that child.
1: Right. I think the single most important skill, and I think this is useful for all of your students, but I've heard it expressed like this, teach the pause. Right? Teach the waiting moment, right? So we have a big decision to make today. Do you want to move on to math review or are you all ready to take the quiz? I want you to pause. We're going to deliberately take a pause and write down: do you think you're ready or what do you still need to learn, right? Or, gosh, we just had something happen in class that was really unkind. Let's take a pause for a minute and stop and think. What happened? How did we allow that to happen, right? Let's all just individually stop, focus on this one thing and think about what to do next. And so teaching the pause, I think, is probably universally one of the most helpful social and emotional skills that teachers can do. And it helps kids with ADHD and it helps kids without ADHD. True. For kids with ADHD, you might also have to add a prompt like, Remember, remember your pause. You're going to feel so much better if you stop and think about before you turn that test in, did you really look over your answers? Or, you know, for those who are prone to rushing, I know you have this test and you're so anxious to be done with it and you feel jazzed up, but remember your pause. Take a breath after each problem and remember your pause. You know, so cueing your... (coughs) students with ADHD in the moment. We need coaching at the
0: time of performance, not lectures before or after. Is that helpful? I love that. And it also reminds me of how you could maybe say, okay, so maybe the kid was impulsive in, 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 and, and literally like in the next second or two, if we can find it in, inside ourselves without um, putting our frustration aside, because that's usually the biggest thing that you gotta like get over and, and make sure you're, you're in a place where you're calm and you're not speaking out of your frustration or um, stress at the moment but i could i could see a teacher saying to a child like oh did oh maybe we needed to pause
1: mm-hmm. if
0: we had paused what what do you think you would have done differently like maybe we could use that after moment to get them to be like oh wait i was supposed to pause um, I, so as you're talking i was just thinking through this playing out and what else could they say that's po- framed positively <laughs>
1: Well, and I think too, for teachers, seeing those moments where the child is impulsive and they're unable to pause, to me, then that clues us in as professionals to when is that child going to need support the next time so that I can prevent the impulsivity? Not that we can prevent every problem, right? That's not our responsibility as professionals or teachers. But if you do learn, okay, This kid is always highly impulsive right before lunch because they get a little hangry or this kid is always super impulsive when they have to go into groups because socially they find it a little overwhelming or this kid acts out a lot when the stimuli is too much if you know what the antecedents are then i think you can remind yourself this is a situation where this child needs just one little extra prompt in the moment and then they will do better and for me when i'm exhausted in those situations i say and i'll feel better too right if if i can help the student manage this that will feel great at the end of the day. Because you know, and I do, ADHD kids are exhausting. They are frustrating. They are annoying. They don't mean to be annoying, but it is annoying. It's distracting. It's an energy suck. And I think, you know, for people who are in your position as administrators, providing support for teachers to kind of unpack what are their experiences, to have a safe place to say, I was so aggravated in that moment, and to be able to discharge some of that energy so that they can start again with that student, it's just so important, right? And it's yeah. not all about teaching behavioral strategies. It's about listening and being present with the teachers
0: who, like the kids, want to do well. And and it takes awareness, because how often do I hear they, they, they couldn't concentrate today at all. Or like we make these general statements as if the kid's doing it every minute of that entire day, which isn't true, although it feels like it, but I love how you pointed out, okay, teachers just in the next day, notice when they're being impulsive and, 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 take like a note, what happened right before that? Like if we could narrow and pinpoint those situations, maybe we look for the situation to then start backpacking. What, you know, okay, what happened before that? Okay. What might they need right before that scenario or situation? And, and if, and we, it might even tell us more about the kid than we noticed before, because sometimes we just lump it in. They can't, they won't, they can't sit down. They never, you know, finish. Well, uh, it's, it just comes out that, 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 that we say it like that. But I like how you said, maybe we can just try to narrow down into that moment. Give me a moment. Tell me that one moment it happens tomorrow. Let's talk about what happened right before that. I think that was really helpful.
1: And, you know, even a two-minute conversation, I notice that, you know, in the period before lunch, things are really hard for you. Could we talk for two minutes at lunch about what would help? Maybe you have some ideas, I might have some ideas, but let's come up with something together. You know, is that a time when you need something to fidget with? Is it a time when maybe you need a sensory break? Really, kids are so smart. They can help us come up with solutions. I firmly believe that. They do well when they can, and they can be part of the collaborative problem-solving process.
0: Yes, I, and that's what I do and believe in wholeheartedly percent. I always love sal- telling kids, like, I noticed that, what's up with that? And I use my very even toned. I'm not pointing down at you. I'm not looking down at you. There's no ounce of any, you know, negativity there. And 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 they slowly do open up. And, and it's, it's, I mean, most times they stare at you because they're like, nobody ever said that to me before. <laughs> but it's so fun when you can go try to get them to like kind of problem solve together. All right, so let's. What's, what should schools be doing better for atypical learners? You had something to share about that.
1: You know, I have to say, I think schools are in such a difficult position. And as we look ahead to what impact COVID is gonna have for the next several years. I mean, I think it's time to get real about this. This isn't going away. It wasn't a a six month problem. It wasn't a one year problem. And I think we are gonna be looking forward to several years of figuring out policies and preventions and figuring out how to get everyone on board with what we wanna do as a community. So before COVID, I think schools were stretched thin, right? Resources were tight. You know, Absolutely. schools were becoming community centers and and bless their hearts, you know, when schools have washing machines and they have breakfast and lunch and they're feeding kids in the summer and we're doing counseling and we're doing academic um, interventions. I guess from my point of view, as an advocate for kids who are atypical learners, I really wish that part of continuing education for every teacher was education on ADHD from a neurodevelopmental point of view, not how to manage it, not the behavioral aspect of it. Because I think in some ways that feeds into this, well, if they tried harder, if they just cared, if they could get themselves motivated, well, you know what? Those things are completely inconsistent with the science of ADHD. And I guess if I I had a magic wand, that's what I would want is for, Teachers, administrators, guidance counselors, everybody in the school system to get trained on ADHD from a neurodevelopmental, neurogenetic point of view, so that we stop thinking of this as behavior and we start thinking of it as symptoms and we start looking at what strategies do we need as a team and stop putting it on the child. Well, they just don't care. I mean, I am so tired of hearing that. Well, they if they cared, if they could get themselves motivated, you know what? That's what they want, too. And we're the adults. So let's all sit down together and figure it out from a science-based point of view.
0: So would you say that maybe we need more education for teachers? And, and here's why I say that, because here's the issue that I'll be really vulnerable that I see. The kid, kids acting out with all of the behaviors we just described—that is like ADHD then the parent, the teacher shares that with the parent, the parent, in my perspective, doesn't know what to do with it. So they just go to their, their expert, their doctor. And then all of a sudden, we get a note to have a 504 meeting or to have, you know, evaluation. So we have an evaluation. And sometimes they don't qualify for an IEP because they don't really have a learning disability. They just have maybe, maybe it's not even really ADHD, right? And then we find ourselves sitting at the table where we wrote a plan, for doing what is best teaching practices anyway, that the teacher was probably doing 99.9% of them anyway. But now we've got something formal written that follows this child. And I just sit there and I'm like, w- w- is, is that what we wanted? Is that what was supposed to happen? Is just every kid supposed to end up with it with a 504 because they can't sit still, concentrate, sit down, listen and follow. And, but so would, is that what you think? Maybe I just need to bring in more education for the teachers. to think, that's the solution to help. Cause I don't, I don't know that this cycle is, is, is how it's supposed. I feel like it's not right. It's, I, I, but I don't know how to fix it.
1: No, I, I don't think it's easily fixed. I would 100% agree with you. I think,
0: but I want to fix it. And I, and I feel like I'm doing something wrong because I haven't fixed it all these years. And I just hit up against it all every year with my educational diagnostician. And I'm just like, Oh man. All right. So what what would you say?
1: I would say, kind of going back to the point that I was, I I wanted to make, and I'm not sure I was clear about, is I think training for school personnel on understanding the ADHD child, right? So that in the moment you have that empathy and you can maintain that connection, because I think that above all else is what enables a student to be in a place of learning, right? When you're- Empathy and and connection. I completely believe. So that piece. Then I think- And this isn't the school's responsibility, but this is the responsibility of professionals in the medical community, in the helping professions. Parents need somehow to get a very clear message of what is the school's role and what is the medical professional or the psychological professional's role, right? And somewhere along the line that never gets explained and it doesn't make sense to parents. Oh well we're going to have an evaluation at school we're going to figure out what the disability is that impacts learning but that's a different process in some ways and it's a different outcome than knowing that you've had a complete psychoeducational evaluation outside of school and you have a diagnosis right a determination of disability in the school system is not the same as a diagnosis. And it's that part that I truly believe we make very difficult in our systems. And there's not an easy place for parents to learn it. And so there's a real opportunity, I think, for organizations like CHAD and Attitude and the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Psychological Association to be really clear with parents with pamphlets and and education in the pediatrician's office. This is the responsibility of the school, and this is the responsibility of the parent. And I think until there's better messaging about that, and maybe maybe schools can even message that on their websites, but it's not the responsibility of schools to do all of that, but they get caught, right? Your teachers, your guidance counselors get caught in, we can't diagnose we can determine if there's a disability but there's this whole other side of it but parents go in thinking, well the school's going to take care of it if the kid just had a great 504 I mean I read it almost every day well that teacher doesn't know how to teach my kid. I'm not putting my kid on med so that the teacher's job is easier. whoa 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 we should be making decisions about that child's treatment in conjunction with the medical professional, right And so, I don't know that any one system can fix it and then you know that when we've got all these multiple systems working together it generally doesn't work and that's why i go back to where we started is parents if you think that that your child may have adhd or someone's suggesting that to you and at some schools they won't even say adhd they'll say trouble
0: focusing, can't sit still. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, we're not. Teachers know they're not supposed to say that out loud.
1: (laughs) Right. And so to the parent, I can easily see where the parent is thinking, well, they didn't say the kid has ADHD. They said he has trouble focusing. Doesn't every kid have trouble focusing? I mean, that's kind of what we hear all the time. And so I think there's a real need for public health messaging around this because you and I, as individual actors within these systems i don't know if we can do it but public oh,
0: health- man noreen <laughs> well i appreciate you saying that because it helps me not feel so bad that i'm not the one helping it helping change it for my staff because i really at times reflect and i'm like i i should be saying i maybe i don't know i need to do something different to help them or sometimes i feel like i say things and it's supposed to help but it doesn't help and we're, we're right back there again, you know, and sometimes God bless that little student, like maybe he is just the seven year old that has a lot of energy. Maybe he doesn't have ADHD. So, so, so sometimes I, I feel like maybe we need to broaden our, our, our perspective to allow for pick our battles and not, uh, you know, uh, be uber, hi, hi, uber sensitive over like every little thing the kid, like maybe they're just being a kid and it's kind of hard sitting here all day for seven hours. Cause you and I do our natural breaks that are natural for us that we know to do because we've lived it long enough. And, and, and the kid just hasn't learned that yet. So, so sometimes I struggle with maybe they are just a regular kid and, and they don't have ADHD, even though they look like they might have all those symptoms. Well, and then and that's sometimes why we want the reliable and valid tools
1: of a true evaluation we don't know i'm not qualified to say right i have students come they've never had an evaluation and first thing i'll often say is we're struggling with this problem of work follow-through we're struggling with being able to get work done we're struggling with focus we don't know why right the first thing we need to know is why if it was going to be easily corrected, it would have already been easily corrected. You
0: wouldn't be at my office.
1: So yeah. we need to know why. Is it anxiety? My gosh. Like, we need to know why. And
0: now probably more than ever could be underlying symptoms of anxiety. That, that might look like the symptoms of ADHD. So is this something that you do in your coaching? Maybe talk us through a little bit of your coaching. Like, what does that look like for you?
1: sure. Sure. So in my coaching practice, what we focus on are teaching those life skills that are frequently referred to as executive functioning skills. It's how do you control your impulses? How do you manage your time? How do you prioritize what needs to get done? How do you organize your stuff? How do you start the things you don't want to start? How do you finish when you're tired? All of those things are executive functioning skills because they relate to the part of the brain that's kind of the mastermind of the brain. And so they're the executive of the brain. They're also the skills that executives need, but I think it's more apt to say that's really the executive skills in the brain. So um, we focus on that and it's really, it's very applied, concrete, specific skill building. So for middle school, one of the things that, that we might do every week with a student is Let's completely unpack your backpack and make sure that you have a place and a system for everything. Do you need a folder that's just for homework because it's too hard to put everything in a three ring binder or to manage six different notebooks during the day, you know, but we'll take all of that out. And we'll have the students set it on the table and we'll say, let's take a look at what's not working for you in this system. And it's always different, right? There's some kids who can't keep their pencil pouch organized. There's some kids who can't keep papers organized. There's some kids who've got math stuffed into science. Um, But what we really do is hands-on applied in the moment, what systems and solutions are going to work for you. And the same thing with for example, getting started on things. So we have so many students who struggle with getting started on things. And of course, if you look up procrastination, you can find thousands of possible strategies, but our goal, right? The reason you come to coaching is to figure out what's gonna work for you, right? So for some students it's, well, I need a mini bag of, you know, M&Ms, the little Halloween treat bag size. And I'm gonna sit down with that and a cup of ice water and some apples or cheese, and I'm gonna get started. For some students, they have to tell themselves, I'm just gonna do 10 minutes and then I can take a break. For some students, they have to say, when I get this done, then I can go to lacrosse practice. It's not difficult, right? It doesn't sound particularly difficult, but what is hard is to integrate that into the student's brain so they're practicing that over and over again so that they are learning that skill so they can do it without their coach and again we just have to be so mindful that it sounds simplistic but if the student could do it they would already be doing it it's not a question of telling them it's a question of practicing and then there's the social and emotional side of it right? Is how do you help a student who doesn't feel good about themselves, who maybe feels like they have poor self-esteem because they're turning things in late all the time or they're failing tests? You know, How do we manage that part of it? How do we build the social skills of interacting with your teacher, of sending notes to the teacher, of advocating for yourself? So I would say at, at Russell Coaching, we really strive to identify through some informal assessments Where are the strengths? And then where are the skills that the student is in need of? And then we do those. We do them right then and there each week in the coaching session. We don't talk about them. We don't lecture about them. You know, we practice them. You set three goals for the week. Okay. What are your top three priorities the next week? Were you able to achieve those? What got in the way? How did you address? the roadblock that was getting in the way of studying for ap science okay great let's make a note that that worked it's it's all of the metacognition of how do i learn to work my
0: brain and what works for me and i think the key here is that if we as i'll say educators and go back to my teachers again we have to be okay that a child is doing something different than what we are asking sometimes the whole class to do. Cause sometimes the teacher you're like, pull out this. I want everyone to have this binder and like, well, at least from my experience. And I think we like, I think the real beautiful key is that you've got to be aware that some kids that might not work for them. But if we take the time to figure out what will work for them, a, they'll be more invested because they will have problems solved with you. Um, but I think that's, that's just like an aha moment for me for what you're saying.
1: Well, and I think, you know, this is something we believe in and we don't just believe in it. We practice it. So if we're working with a student and they need a different system, you know, middle schools are notorious for this. You will have these, you know, notebooks, you will use this planner in this way. You'll have a three inch binder with dividers and the papers will go here, you know, great. Listen, listen. It works for 90% of the students and that's why you're doing it. And that's wonderful. I happen to be working with the 10% of students for whom it doesn't work. And so it's our job as coaches to say, you know, dear Dr. Russell or whatever the teacher's name is, you know, I want to let you know, and you know, you need your permission and your release and all that, but that I'm working with Kylie Smith and You know, she's really struggling with being able to put all the papers in the appropriate place, and so we're working on a system of she's going to put everything in a folder and then organize it once a week with me or she's going to go home and spend the first 10 minutes of homework time doing it. And so she may occasionally have a folder or a system that looks different from what you've taught Um, when she's able to use the preferred classroom system we're working toward that. But it's all about team, right? And communication. If you say to a teacher, this is why we're doing it this way and this is what this student needs, I don't know. I don't really run into teachers very often who aren't like, great. Okay, let's do it. Um, you know, and it can be something like some teachers will want kids handwriting flashcards and I'll say, "Actually, we'll find that if if we have a student who struggles with writing, or attention problems and they have to spend an hour writing out all those cards then they're too tired to get to studying. So with your permission, we'd like to put those into Quizlet or Kahoot and use it to study that way because then we can focus on the drilling of the information and not the writing because for this 5% student, the writing doesn't help to encode it, you know? And so yeah. I think it's about communicating. And teachers, honestly, if you say to them, this is what's going to work for this student. Sure. Once in a blue moon, we'll run into a teacher who's like, no, it has to be done that way. But for the most part, I think teachers want their students to do well too.
0: And, and I think also I'll go back to another thought of that. Just try it. Like just be willing to try it. It, it, it might not work, but we won't know unless we try it. And if we, if we try it and it doesn't work out, we know that didn't work. Um, And it's not a personal indictment, right?
1: Your system of folders Mm -hmm. and binders and planners and colored pencils, it does work, right? It works for 90%. I'm working for the tiny minority for whom it doesn't work. And so listen, feel great. You're a great teacher. I hear great things about you. Don't take this personally. Don't take this as an indictment of you know who you are. You're a great teacher. Just need to. Add in some accommodations here for this student whose brain works a little differently, or they're a little delayed in their ability to implement a more complicated organization system. It's not the end of the world.
0: It is not the end of the world. (laughs) And I can keep going on and on. I love listening to everything that you're saying. So I'm going to leave you with one more question before I close this out, but I'm going to invite you back on because I know you have a whole world in the world of autism to talk about, which I totally want to come back to that topic another time. But lastly, you offer a virtual study hall, and I'd love my parents and listeners to hear what is that like?
1: Sure, absolutely. So um, at Russell Coaching, we work with students who are, middle school all the way through college and professional school. So our students get um, a coach who's their coach. We work one-on-one to do that skill building and skill assessment and helping the student learn how to work their brain. In addition to that, we offer virtual study hall because one of the things we know about kids with ADHD is that it is hard to get started. It's hard to find motivation. And just being with someone else or checking in with someone will help them to have the structure they need without going to the point where we're engaging a tutor to reteach everything or to babysit them. So to me, you need a tutor when you need remediation, but I don't want a tutor taking my ADHD kid through all the material to avoid the fact that they have a hard time getting started. And virtual study hall is basically, it's an hour on Zoom. We do it every night, Monday through Thursday. The student can sign up for it, their parent can sign them up for it, there's a coach who moderates it, the coach checks in, okay, William, what are you working on tonight? What's your goal? What do you want to get done in the next 60 minutes? And William will say, I need to get, you know, my math homework done and I need to get an essay done for English. And the coach will say, okay, what problem or concern do you think you're going to have, right? We want to be thinking ahead so that we don't get frustrated. Okay let me know raise your hand or you know put your light on or whatever when you run into a problem so we're normalizing being frustrated right Mm, we're not assuming can't do it but we're normalizing frustration okay i'm gonna go check in with the other five attendees you let me know when you need me to get through that hurdle so again right self-determination self-regulation they go on to the next student again they're taking notes what is this student working on same feel Let me know when you get stuck or when you need help, or if you just need to pause and get some motivation. Let me know what you need. So it's less support than a coaching session, than like a second or third coaching session a week, but it is enough support that the student is able to hold themselves accountable and to learn how to use the skills that they're getting in coaching with some scaffolding at the moment. I just, we love virtual study skills.
0: Oh my Um, God. I love it now too, because I I don't know if you guys had those asynchronous Wednesdays, parents were like, I can't get my kid to start. I can't get them to continue. Why can't they just sit down and like get it done and, and, you know, not, not take eight hours and they're still not done. It would have been brilliant for that.
1: No, I even would have like a small group of mine last year because of the Wednesday thing. And we would get together, you know, as a, group of three and say, okay, so from 11 to two on Wednesdays, we're just going to knock stuff out. I'll be working on my own work. You all work on your work. Let me know what you're doing. I'm going to follow the same accountability. I've got to figure out a marketing plan. I've got to run the budget numbers for last month. And then, you know, every hour on the hour, somebody tell a joke or tell a funny story, or let's watch a video on YouTube. You know, let's crack ourselves up with cat videos, you know, so great. Um, So, Now we love virtual study hall and that is um, something that we offer to our our coaching clients um, for a very nominal fee and and we'll keep doing it this year because I just think. it's really such a great next step for students who are learning how to work their brain to learn how to work their brain independently and not have the parent doing it for them, but not be one on one with the coach.
0: Yeah, and sometimes, God bless the parents with the best of intentions, it just gets frustrating for them. Then they're frustrating, then their kid's frustrating, and then they just throw up their hands. Oh. Well, Dr. Russell... Thank you so much for joining me today. You offer a variety of supports for families and kids from, I even saw college application coaching, which sounds so extremely helpful, to parenting, parent coaching topics, like we said on ADHD. And you have like five sessions that you'll work with a parent with their child on, which just looks like something totally, you know, um, easy to do. You know, it's not something that they have to be locked in for a year or anything like that. And then even for teens, you have some executive functioning supports in the areas of self-esteem, shyness, and even social. Anxiety. So, I'm going to put all the links in the description notes below. Is there anything you want to say to those who are looking to follow you or um, look more into your work? How should they find you?
1: Sure. We're at RussellCoaching.com, and our number where you'll get a real person is 212 716 1161. And you'll speak with Carla, who's our office manager, and she's wonderful. And for any of your listeners who are interested in talking about academic and ADHD coaching for their students anywhere from middle through college, Um, we are offering your listeners 20% off for the first three months of their coaching. Um, And so we really want to support what you're doing and support parents. And so if they're listening to this podcast and they go to russellcoaching.com and they're interested in our services, they can mention your podcast and receive 20% off the first three months.
0: Thank you so much. Well, thank you again for joining me, Dr. Russell. And I know we're going to connect again soon.
1: That sounds great. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. And let's hope that all of us who are parents and teachers of ADHD kids remember to walk in their shoes um, and to support each other.
0: I love that. Thank you again. Thank you. Well, that's all we've got for this episode of the Momnificent Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment, but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy.